Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today continues our study in the book of Psalms with Psalm 52. To the choir master, a maskil of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. Salah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Salah. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever, because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good, in the presence of the godly. This is the word of the Lord. So Psalm 52 is another maskil, some kind of a skilled song is what the word seems to indicate. And I made the comment yesterday that maybe Psalm 51 has one of the lengthiest introductions giving us the context. And honestly, Psalm 52 right after it has another. That we learn that this is about Doeg the Edomite, So Edom is the people of Esau, brother of Jacob. They move down south of the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea. They become the Edomites, the land of Edom. Doeg is one of them. And when David is fleeing for his life from King Saul, who sought to put him to death in 1 Samuel chapter 21, he comes across the city of Nov, is how you'd pronounce it in Hebrew, N-O-V. We have it as a B in English, so maybe Nob might be the better English pronunciation for it. But I'm going to call it Nov to go with the Hebrew. When he comes to Nov, he's hungry. The priest Ahimelech gives him the, the bread of the presence to eat, which was only for the priest to eat. It wasn't to be given to just anyone. He also gives him the sword of Goliath, which had been apparently stored there among the priests. Doeg was nearby and saw this happen. And so later on, when it's reported to King Saul that the the men of David have been found, David has been found, and Doeg is there and reports what he saw at Nov, the king summons Ahimelech the priest and accuses him of conspiring against the king and commands his servants to put Ahimelech the priest to death. But as it's recorded in 1 Samuel 22, 
they were afraid to strike down the priest of the Lord, of Yahweh, and they wouldn't do it. And so instead, Saul turns to that wicked servant. He turns to Doeg the Edomite, and he orders him to strike down the priests. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 18, that Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nov, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. Both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. One of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. So the priestly tribe, and it might not have been all of them, but it is where the priests were living, devastated. But at least one priest survives and will serve with David in the future. So, a truly evil thing. But that's our context here. So King Saul still lives. David is not yet, not yet in enthroned in Jerusalem as its king. And so we're, we're in the late part of the 11th century BC as David will be king over Hebron starting in 1008, but not over Jerusalem until 1001-ish. And so we're, we're in that kind of a range as Saul is chasing after David. Might be a little earlier than that yet. So why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? A good family conversation in that. What things do people today boast of? So Doeg boasts of striking down priests. That's an evil thing. But people today boast of many evils too. And if we're not careful, so do we as Christians. So we boast of our lies the times where we've deceived our neighbors and gotten ahead for ourselves. We boast of our physical conquests, which aren't usually with the sword to kill in this era as much as they are sexual. We boast of all kinds of sins that we commit. So if you come up with examples of boasting in your own lives that you have seen with your friends or your family, your co-workers, your classmates, pray this psalm. And also pray that the Lord might lead them to repent. So Doeg's tongue plots destruction as he turned over the priest, even though they had not wronged the king. It cuts like a razor. So thinking of Again, destruction, cutting, uh, shedding of blood, which Doeg again himself did. He loved evil more than good, lying more than speaking what is right. It's a simple truth. He aimed to kill people for a crime they did not commit. A false witness. He framed them, in essence. You love all words that devour. This is a theme in the book of James in particular in the New Testament. That epistle likes to focus on the idea that we can use our tongue in different ways. We can use it as it is here to destroy, to devour, to tear down 
we can also use it to build up. We can use it to encourage one another. We can use it to share Christ with others. But this man, Doeg, does not do that. He uses his tongue to tear down, and so in response, the Lord will tear him down. God will break you down forever. Destruction, destroy, judgment. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. That's a vivid picture. And it stands in opposition to John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, where we learn that we are safely in the palm of the Lord's hand. Right, So you have the, the faithful, the one who trusts in Christ as our Savior, who has loved us, forgiven us, that we are just you know, peacefully sitting there in the palm of God's hand. But that this wicked man is being, it's like God's hand is reaching down into his home and ripping him out of it, no matter how he tries to cling to the tent peg with the tent curtain at the entrance. By this picture, by the way, the the American Christian mindset of how the end of the world is going to happen, so very prominently focusing on this idea of the rapture, that the Lord will come like a thief in the night and take all the Christians to himself. They'll just disappear from this world, and then those who didn't believe will be left for a season of suffering, trial, and temptation, but that some will come to faith in that time. Anyway, it gets gets more complicated yet. That picture is opposite of this. Here, do you want to be taken away or do you want to be left? In the rapture theology, you want to be taken away, but in this theology of Psalm 52, you want to be left. You don't want God to tear you away. Reminiscent there of the flood in Noah's day that those who remain on this earth are the faithful, the small group of just eight, whereas everyone else is torn away, swept away by the flood. He will uproot you from the land of the living. And that's like uh, the account in the Gospels, as you have John the Baptist talking about how the axe is already laid at the root of the trees to cut it off, to cut it down and remove it, and that those who are faithful would remain. Maybe a helpful image there, but also at the same time terrifying. Thanks be to God that we are in his hand. The righteous shall see and fear. The theme that we actually see in the book of Deuteronomy mentioned a couple of times. That as God punishes the wicked, here's one from Deuteronomy 19 verse 20, the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. God's judgment against anyone at any time in history is done in a limited way so that the rest of creation, the remnant, whether it's a big remnant or a little one, can see the error of their way, can see the consequence of their sin, and that they would turn from it, that they would repent and live. The only time that is not true with God's judgment will be on the final day. Repent, turn away from your wicked ways. So here the righteous are going to see the way of Doeg and what it ends in, and they're not going to want that. At the same time, David does say they'll end up laughing at Doeg as well, that this man sought to make his own life 
he sought to trust in himself, and that seeking led to destruction. We are to trust in the Lord. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Luther's explanation to the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. We trust in him. And so the contrast here, verses 8 and 9, that we are like a tree planted in the house of God. That does actually bode a challenge for the church today. Most of those who claim to be Christian aren't planted in the house of God. They don't want to frequent the house of God. They don't ever want to go to the house of God. And by that, I'm simply referring to your local congregation where his word is preached, his sacraments given, where you get to hear the forgiveness of sins and you get to hear more about his scriptures and who he is and what he's done for you. And yet we avoid it. The devil's at work. The devil is attacking. The devil is harming the world. He's seeking to harm the Christian. So many, so many who know nothing, and they're okay with it. That is a very, very troubling faith. We are to be planted in God's house, nourished by his gifts, fed by by his word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, what Jesus says to Satan in the temptation account of Matthew 4, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. We trust in God, whereas Doeg did not, but David did. We trust in the Lord that he is merciful, as we just had in Psalm 51, David's plea for God's mercy, which he gives. God is merciful, he forgives, he loves, he keeps his promises, always, forever and ever. And so we thank him forever. We give thanks to God because he has done it. That's an interesting brevity of this text. What is it? And you can talk about that as a family, and, and hopefully, and most likely, what you'll talk about as a family is what God has done for you. What is the it he has done for you? We talk about Christ's death and his resurrection, that he died to take away our sins. He rose again to give us life. He has defeated sin, death, and the devil for us. He's made us part of his kingdom in the waters of holy baptism. He nourishes that faith through word and sacrament to the day. Thanks be to God. In David's context... What is the it? David looks forward to that, but he doesn't know it in, in all that intimate detail. So for David, the rescue, that God has delivered him from the hands of his enemies, he's delivered him from the Philistines in the past, he's delivered him here from Saul. And so David waits. He waits upon the name of the Lord because he knows the Lord is good and he does so in the presence of the godly. That is, he surrounds himself with other faithful people who seek to trust in the Lord. The men who have gathered at this point around David recognize that David is the Lord's anointed, that the Lord has chosen him to be king, and they are seeking to follow him because of that. 
And so as we had that conversation about needing to plant ourselves in the house of God and actually spend time in his house, in his word, and in his sacraments, we see this need too, that as we wait for his name, that is Jesus Christ, that he would return as he has promised, that we would do so in the presence of the godly, that we would do so in the presence of one another. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, where the unknown preacher says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day of Jesus the day of his return, the day of his second coming, the last day, the day of judgment, is ever closer. It's closer today than it was yesterday. It's closer now than it was in the book of Hebrews, which was written 1,900 years ago, um, maybe 1950 uh, years ago. It's ever coming closer. And yet, again, for so many, we, we aren't meeting. We're avoiding each other. Let us gather. Let us come together in the presence of the God. We let us be faithful together that we may encourage and build each other up to always seek the Lord's promises so that we don't become tempted to boast of our own evils, of our own sins. Let us cling to Christ, to his forgiveness, in his house, which doesn't necessarily have to be a physical church building as some Christians persecuted in spots of the world don't even have that option. But in the church, capital C, that is the body of Christ, his family, believers, let us gather. Let us praise the Lord. Praise me.